to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. In John 14.6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Our goal is to encourage everyone to grow in the Christian faith by anchoring themselves to the secure truth found in the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. Don't be like the people of this world, but let God change the way you think. Then you will know how to do everything that is good and pleasing to Him. Romans chapter 12 verse 1 Contemporary English Version Finally, my friends, keep your minds on whatever is true, pure, right, holy, friendly, and proper. Don't ever stop thinking about what is truly worthwhile and worthy of praise. Philippians chapter 4 Verse 8, Contemporary English Version Hello, I'm Victoria Kay. Welcome to Anchored by Truth, brought to you by Crystal Sea Books. If you've been with us on our last few episodes of Anchored by Truth, you know that we're in the midst of a series about objections that are often raised against the existence of God. In this series, we're examining five specific objections that you often hear. Our specific aim is to see whether those objections are reasonable when you subject them to a logical analysis. Again with us today is Doug Apple, who is the manager of the Wave 94 radio station in Tallahassee, Florida. Doug has been active in Christian broadcasting for more than 25 years, is a faithful student of the Bible, and meditates frequently about his faith. He has a passion to help Christians understand our faith is a blessing for our minds as well as our souls. Before we get into the discussion, Doug, would you like to take a couple of minutes and tell us a little bit about why you wanted to help Anchored by Truth pursue this series? Well, I got to tell you, I'm a big fan of what Anchored by Truth and Crystal Sea Books is doing and especially using logic and wisdom, some of the mental insights so that it's not just a blind leap of faith that you would believe the Bible and believe in God, and not just some emotional overreaction, but actually it's all of these. It's your heart, it's your mind, it's your soul, it is logical, it is understandable, and it is wise. So I'm just glad to be here. Thank you, Doug. And just for the listener's benefit, We do expect Doug to be with us for the next few shows as we continue to address specific objections that are sometimes raised about God's existence. Today, the objection we're going to look at is that there are so many different ideas or versions of God that exist around the world that it is impossible for us to know which, if any of them, is true. This is sometimes expressed in the bumper sticker, quote, God is too big to fit into one religion, unquote. But before we begin examining the specific objection, let's take a brief look back and see what we've learned about the first two objections we tackled. The first objection was that because we can't perceive God with any of our physical senses, we have no evidence for God's existence. When we examined this objection, we noted several important points. First, God is the ultimate cause of everything in the universe. This includes not only the features of the physical universe, matter, energy, time, and space, 
but also the personal attributes that we see present in human beings. Those attributes include the ability to use logic, apply reason to reach valid conclusions, and express ourselves through language. Right. God, like all causes, can be known by his effects. Obviously, one of God's spectacular effects is his creation of the visible universe. And not only did God create the universe, but he so ordered it so that it supports living and intelligent creatures. If you do away with God as the creator of the universe, then you're forced to conclude that the universe is somehow self-existent. That changes the universe from being an effect of an omnipotent creator to being a self-existent cause. But if the universe is the cause of everything, then what's the universe's effect? There's no satisfactory answer to that question. Exactly. And as we've noted many times on Anchored by Truth, empirical observations of the universe tell us that the universe is not eternal. Even if we accept the conventional Big Bang theory, as opposed to biblical creationism, it would require the universe to have a beginning. And the second law of thermodynamics tells us that one day the universe will run out of energy and come to an end. Anything that is self-existent would also be eternal. Empirical observations of the universe reveal that it is not eternal. So even conventional science tells us the universe is not self-existent and needs a cause outside of itself. Yes. And the second objection we addressed was that even if God exists, that God is so different from mankind, that it would be impossible for us to know anything about God. In other words, if God existed, he would be unknowable. This objection does not deny God's existence, but declares any efforts to study God or have a relationship with him would be futile. Right. But we noted that this objection faces an immediate problem. The objection states that God cannot be known. But the objection proceeds from the assumption that we do know at least one thing about God, that God is completely different from man. This then leads to a number of obvious questions. If we don't and can't know anything about God, how do we know God is so different from man that God is unknowable? To state that two things are different, you must know something about both things. So, this objection is self-defeating. It simultaneously claims we know nothing about God while claiming to know something about him, namely that God is different from man. Now, of course, Christians acknowledge that God is very different from man, but we can claim that knowledge because we accept the revelation that God has made of himself in the Bible. At any rate, listeners who want to hear the complete discussions of how we handled both those objections can go to the podcast versions of those shows which are available from SoundCloud.com or most major podcasting applications. So, Doug, where do you want to start looking at the objection that there are so many versions of God that circulate in the world that it is impossible to know which of those versions is true? Well, as we've done before, let's start by looking at the propositions that are involved in or stand behind the objection. First, notice that this objection rests on the awareness that there's a large variety of versions of God that exist around the world. In fact, it's probably safe to say that just about every culture that has ever existed, regardless of geography or time in history, has some concept of God. 
or let's say some concept of the supernatural, because many of the concepts involve belief in more than one supernatural figure. So, one question that comes to mind right away is, why is there such a widespread belief in the supernatural that transcends geography, culture, place in history, or other factors that distinguish one group of people from another? In other words, why does a belief in the supernatural exist and persist among just about every society that has ever existed? Well, the critics would say because many of these cultures have been technologically primitive and therefore invented an explanation of things in the natural world they couldn't understand. As when some ancient cultures thought thunder was the voice of God, or maybe the noise that gods made when they were fighting. So, the contention would be that a lack of technological sophistication would induce men to invent something beyond themselves, or things they could perceive with their senses, to serve as the explanation for one phenomena or another. And I agree that this is one contention that is common, but that contention misses a very big point. Which is? Why did those technologically unsophisticated people need or want an explanation in the first place? Thunder is loud and lightning is scary, but so what? Our pets are often scared of lightning and thunder, but your dogs never ask for an explanation of what's going on. Your pet's just scared, and that's the end of it. But human beings want an explanation. They want to know what's causing the phenomena that scares them. Human beings have an innate desire not just to experience the world around them, but to understand it. Why? I see what you're saying. One of the reasons there are so many variations of the God or God's hypothesis is because human beings have an intrinsic desire to have a comprehensive understanding of the world in which they live that not only differentiates them from every other animal, but it points out that human beings believe they have the capacity to grasp concepts that go beyond their sense perceptions. Yikes! That's the kind of thought that can set off a bit of a brain freeze. Bingo! Human beings can conceive of a reality beyond themselves. And not just some limited group of human beings possesses this ability. As we've said, cultures that have limited technological sophistication possess this ability, as well as those of us who live in what we call the modern world. Human beings everywhere and at all times can perceive that realities can or do exist beyond that which they can see, hear, or feel. And this ability is universal. So why is it universal? Well, of course, this is a major problem for anyone who believes that life arose from the random collision of atoms and molecules. If human beings were just the ultimate product of a random, chaotic, and undirected process, that would make our brains just another product of that process. So, any belief humans have about a supernatural reality would just be another product of chaos. Right. So the evolutionary hypothesis provides a very weak explanation for our ability to conceive of a supernatural reality, regardless of the particular elements of that reality. But what would provide a much more reasonable explanation for the human ability to perceive a supernatural reality is if we were designed and created with that ability. And not just created with the ability, but actually imprinted with an awareness of the divine. So, far from many different versions of God being an argument against God's existence, it actually provides strong evidence that God does exist. 
and God implanted in human beings an awareness of his existence that's so strong that it's been present universally throughout human history and all over the world. And that leads us to a second point to notice about this objection, that there are so many versions of God that we can't know which, if any, are true. The objection affirms that there is a difference between truth and error. After all, why say that you can't know that something is true or false if there's not a real difference between the two? And that's a really important point. In a random and chaotic universe that has no superintending intelligence, Any distinctions made about truth or error would be illusionary. Such distinctions would be meaningless, so there would be no point in making them. But the critic who objects that we can't know which version of God is true is acknowledging that separating truth from error is meaningful. But making such a separation would only be possible if there is a being who established order in the universe, the kind of order that makes some things true and some things false and the kind of being who is able to create human beings in such a way that they are aware of the distinction between truth and error, and they are aware that making a correct distinction is important. Again, bingo. Human beings have a universally shared concept that some things are true and some things are false, and that it's important to be able to make the distinction. Human beings also believe that they possess the ability to understand the difference And in every human culture, this awareness extends to believing that we have an obligation to act in accordance with our ability to distinguish truth from error and right from wrong. And we're all aware not only of our abilities, but our obligations. So again, this raises the question of how those obligations would arise. Even if random and chaotic collisions of molecules could create life or even a brain, Random collisions can't create obligations such as laws. Or said differently, laws require a lawgiver. But I suppose a critic might say that what people call laws or obligations are really just expressions of preference or convenience, that there really aren't any laws, just the perception that there are. And in fact, that is one contention that's sometimes raised. But it's amazing how fast those critics believe those laws are real when someone steals their property. All denials that human beings are not subject to some shared obligations are forced and artificial, and they fall away when a real violation of law occurs that affects them. So that leads us to a third point. The notion that we can't determine which concept of God is true rests on two premises that are both self-defeating. Let's take the first of those possible premises that it's not possible to know enough true facts about God for us to accurately separate truth from error. So this premise states a definitive conclusion about the nature of how human beings think about God, yet it does so while telling us it's not possible to make any definitive statements about that God himself. In other words, the statement purports to tell us something about how we can think about God while maintaining that it's impossible for us to know enough about God to say anything true about him. So, the notion that there are so many different concepts about God that we cannot know if any are true is a statement of certainty. But it is a statement of certainty that rejects the possibility of others being able to have the same degree of certainty. In other words, the statement says that, quote, I am certain that others must always remain in uncertainty, unquote. When you phrase the objection this way, some problems immediately become apparent. 
First, for anyone to be certain about what is possible for others to know or not know is presumptuous. Second, for anyone to know what others can or cannot know would mean that the objector possesses an exhaustive knowledge of how other people think or can obtain knowledge. For the statement to be true, the objector would have to be omniscient. So we know right away the statement is an overly broad claim. Third, there is absolutely no way to prove that the statement is true. In fact, it's hard to even see what meaningful evidence could be offered to support the claim. As such, this objection is really just an unsupported assertion. Like so many objections that are made about God, it sounds profound, but when you examine it carefully, it falls apart. Exactly. The objection fails the standard that it establishes. As you said, it proclaims with certainty that no one can ever possess enough certain knowledge of God for them to correctly sort among the various concepts of God that circulate. So a fair question to ask the objector is how they can be so certain that uncertainty is the necessary plight of everyone else. The same observation can be made of an objection that is a first cousin to this objection. And this objection states that there are so many different concepts of God that exist that it's not worthwhile to study them to determine if any of them is true. The first form of the objection says that it is not possible to determine whether any concept of God is true. This form of the objection acknowledges that it may be possible to know which concept of God is true, but that it's so difficult that it's simply not worth the effort. The first form of the objection is an absolute statement. The second is simply a statement of comparative value and worth. But like the first form of the objection, the second form presumes that the objector possesses an exhaustive knowledge of what would make the lives of other people meaningful. So, again, this is a very presumptuous statement because it presumes to judge what others may choose to do with their lives. What would give anyone the right to make that judgment on behalf of anyone else? So, again, this form of the objection would require the objector to be omniscient. Furthermore, both forms of the objection are impossible to prove. In the first place, it's almost impossible to prove a negative. Both of these objections are framed around negatives. You cannot know something. It is not worthwhile to try. In addition to the fact that it is very hard to prove a negative, it's hard to even begin to see what evidence can be offered to support either of these propositions. Yes, but these objections do raise one very valid question that we should tackle before we end this discussion. And that question is, given the fact that there are a very large number of differing concepts of God, how can we go about determining which of them, if any, is true? As you often discuss on Anchored by Truth, sorting among competing truth claims is a worthwhile endeavor. But before we go to that question, let's make one more observation about the objections themselves. The objections could be restated to say, there are so many different concepts of God, it is very difficult to know which one is the true one. Or, there are so many different concepts of God, it's not worth it to me to figure out which one is true. When these objections are stated this way, they are no longer self-defeating. But stating them this way reveals something very important. Whether someone chooses to invest the time to come to know God is a personal decision. And we would readily acknowledge two things right away. First, the large variations in belief systems that exist around the world can make finding the truth challenging. And second, 
It's the right of every person to decide whether they want to engage in that effort. Yes, we agree with both of those observations. It can be hard to know which concept of God is the correct one, and it is up to every person to decide whether or not they will make that effort. But as we point out so often, knowing about God and knowing God personally is a choice that has eternal consequences. Every other decision that we make as human beings, whether it's about what job to do or car to buy or even who to marry, those are decisions that will largely affect us while we are alive on this earth. But decisions we make about God have eternal consequences. The consequences to accept or reject Jesus as your Savior go on for eternity. And it is so important for people to understand that they only have the opportunity to make those decisions as we go through this life. Hebrews chapter 9 verse 27 tells us that, quote, People are destined to die once, and after that, to face judgment, unquote. That's what makes this series on the Lord of Logic so important. Some surveys indicate that even if a child is raised in a Christian home, as many as 75% of those kids will abandon their faith after they leave home. This is a tragedy, but it's an avoidable tragedy. We need to prepare our kids with the evidence and the reasoning capacity to be able to deal with the opposition they're going to get to their faith once they're out on their own. And that brings us to the question of how we can successfully sort among the many competing truth claims that exist about the nature and attributes of God. To do that successfully is a two-pronged effort. There's both an internal and an external component to knowing that the Christian faith is true about what it claims and teaches. Naturally, the external component begins with the Bible. And that, of course, is the central focus of Anchored by Truth. Our whole goal is to demonstrate that the Bible is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible Word of God. The Bible is more than just a book or even a collection of books. The Bible is God's special revelation to mankind to enable people to discern the truth about God. God knew we would confront many counterfeit versions of the true God as we go through life, but He didn't leave us helpless. He gave us the Bible so we would be able to know the truth, and by knowing the truth, defeat the falsehoods. Yes. So, the external component of knowing the truth about God begins by gathering knowledge, evidence, if you will. And one really important body of evidence people need to investigate for themselves is the evidence that supports the inspiration of Scripture. UNRD talk frequently about the remarkable unity of the Bible for a book that was assembled over a period of 1,500 years by dozens of human authors. And you've done series on the fulfilled prophecies that are contained in the Bible. Prophecies so specific they could only have been given by a being that knows all of history in advance. The Bible's remarkable unity and fulfilled prophecy are two of the four lines of evidence we frequently discuss on Anchored by Truth. Another one is the reliable history the Bible contains. This demonstrates that we can be confident in the accuracy of the Bible because thousands of facts contained in the Bible have been confirmed by archaeology or other extra-biblical sources. The final line is changed destinies. Hundreds of thousands of people, or more, have testified that the Bible changed their lives for the better. They stopped drinking, got off drugs, reconnected with their families, and more. The changes in their lives prove that the Bible isn't just a book of moldy history or fantastic tales. 
It is a book whose power continues to operate even in a world that has changed drastically in so many other ways. Yes. So reading the Bible, getting to know the Bible, and meditating on the Bible helps us build that external component that tells us the Christian faith is true. But the external component doesn't end there. The external component also includes spending time with other believers in corporate worship and group prayer. It includes listening to testimonies and teaching, including teaching on Christian radio like we're doing today. It includes consulting with believers who've been on the road longer than we have to get the benefits of their insight and knowledge. So the external component to knowing that Christianity is true itself has a lot of different facets. But there's also an internal component to knowing that the Christian faith is true, and that comes from the internal witness of the Holy Spirit. In John 16, 13, Jesus said, I have much more to say to you, more than you can bear now, but when he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. And that is so critical, because it forms the basis of what we are doing in this Lord of Logic series. We want believers to begin to realize that they do not have to accept the world's characterization of the Christian faith as being a faith that sets aside logic, reason, and evidence. To the contrary, the truth of the Christian faith is demonstrated by the correct use of logic, reason, and evidence. But as much as we can help people with that, ultimately, they must apply some effort to build a rock-solid foundation for their own faith. Yes. The first time someone hears the objection that there are so many different varieties of God that exist around the world that it's impossible to know which one is true, the objection sort of sounds profound. Certainly, we know there are a lot of different concepts of God out there. That much is self-evident. But by applying just a bit of logic, you can quickly realize that this is an objection that is without merit. If someone told you that there are three pieces of paper on a table in front of you, one of which is a $100 bill, and that you could keep the $100 if you identified it, you would immediately make the effort to figure out which piece of paper was the real bill. Now, maybe one of the pieces has a picture of a bunny rabbit on it, and the $100 label is in orange crayon. Pretty easy to toss that one. But maybe the third piece of paper is a counterfeit $100 bill, so now you have to work a little harder. You hold it up to the light and look at the lines. Real bills are sharp and clear. If it looks like a recent $100 bill, you'd look for that blue-gray stripe they put in them. The point is you'd take time to sort between the true and the false because it would be meaningful to you. It would improve your life by identifying the real bill. Well, if it's important to sort out the real $100 bill, it's immeasurably more important to sort out which concept of God will guarantee you eternal life in heaven or which ones will leave you wondering for all eternity why you didn't make the effort. Well, all this sounds like a great time to go to the Lord in prayer. Since this series has required no small amount of thinking, perhaps it will help us sympathize with our kids who are still in school or college. Today, let's listen to a prayer for anyone who is preparing to take a test, and let's use it to recommit ourselves to our own study of God's Word. Prayer Before Taking a Test Heavenly Father, you have been so good and kind to me. I praise your name because you are worthy to be praised. You rule the universe, yet you love us so much that you care about the parts of even our daily lives that trouble us. 
Thank you for being a merciful Father who carries our burdens. Lord, you know I have a test coming that has been weighing on my heart. I know that tests are a part of learning and education. You know so well that tests can be very difficult for some of your children, including me. Lord, I pray that you would help me with this test. I pray you would help me to prepare effectively for the test. Help me to take advantage of all the books, study aids, and guides that I can find. Direct me to my fellow students, teachers, or friends who have an understanding in this area and who can assist me. Please defeat any tendencies I have towards discouragement or fear because these are the tools of the enemy. When I am in the test, please send the Holy Spirit to bring to my mind all that I have learned. Keep me calm and help me to focus on simply doing my best. My joy and hope are in Jesus. I pray and give thanks in His precious name. Amen. We hope you'll be with us next time, and we hope you'll take some time to encourage some friends to tune in also, or listen to the podcast version of this show. If you'd like to hear more, try out crystalcbooks.com, where we're not famous, but our boss is.